Hi, my name is Phil Metzger, and in 1992, I moved to Moscow, Russia. From there, I lived in the beautiful Central European country of Hungary, where my family and I spent the next 20 years living, learning, and sharing about Jesus. Different foods, culture, and language, but underneath it all, we discovered the most amazing people. We learned that to share the gospel effectively, we had to adjust. We had to cross cultures. Now we're back in the U.S. and we're discovering that this country is a melting pot of culture. This show is committed to helping Christians connect to those who think, believe, and live differently than them. This is Crossing Cultures. All right, well, thanks for joining me on this episode of Crossing Cultures. As you can tell, my partner in crime, Nick Roach, is not here. He bailed out on me. Nick bailed on me. That's not true. He's watching right now, and he's going to be mad that I said that, and he might beat me up. Nick did not bail out on me. I'm going to be joined by two amazing guys, and we're going to have a conversation. And um, so we just felt like we're just going to do this, the three of us. Um, our topic today that I want to talk about, I'm going to be inviting in two great guys who both pastor churches. They're both Calvary churches, uh, part of the network that I'm a part of, Calvary Chapel. One is in Los Angeles area, and then one is on the East Coast. And both of these men are African-American, and they have been pastoring in a, in a white evangelical Christian movement. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity to sit down with them via Zoom, because it's still COVID, and we would talk about the issues that they've faced and that they are facing, and maybe help us bridge some of these gaps that, um, I mean, there's blind spots that we don't understand that I know these guys are going to give us great insight into. So let me, uh, let me welcome them into. So first, I've got Bill Buffington. Bill, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, man. I'm blessed to be here with you guys. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. And okay, Bill, you've pastored for 10 years. We were just talking about it. 10 years, the Calvary Chapel in Inglewood, which is in Los Angeles area. Yep. Is that right? And uh, you're like, what, a few minutes away from uh, Ram Stadium? Oh man, yeah, just a few minutes from the Ram Stadium, pretty close to LAX airport. For anybody that's coming there, um, about 10 minutes from LAX, 10 minutes from uh, the new stadium, so... Okay, now wait. I'm in. I'm in San Diego. So I said the Ram Stadium. Is it also where the Chargers are playing? That's how ignorant I am. Or no, they're not playing here. I hope not. I hope you hope not. Okay. okay. <laughs> I don't know. They, they, I don't know either. But I hope not. They, they they got booted. They they left San Diego and nobody's got a home for them. That's the way it goes. <laughs> and um, we're also joined by Tony Clark. Tony Clark is a Marine. And Tony Clark, yep. And uh, Tony, you pastor um, Calvary Chapel Newport News in Virginia. Did I say that right? Yes, yes. Newport News, Virginia. Uh, you know, it got his name from when Christopher Newport used to come over here on his ship and he would bring the news. And so that's how he got his name, uh, uh, Newport News. And so, um, so yeah, yeah. So we're definitely uh, thankful to be here. Uh, thank you, uh, thank you for having me on. And we are about to celebrate our 26th year of uh, starting the church here. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah, next month will be 26 years. Wow, that's a big that's a big thing. And you started that church. You guys both started the churches that you're in, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We started it. Um, you know, I was on staff at um, Calvary Vista, uh, where Brian Brodison was there. And um, I left in 94 to come here. I was the first black uh, senior pastor on the East Coast. Um, so um, I, you know, God graciously allowed for me to pave the way 
uh, for a lot of the guys, um, you know, starting out. So uh, I've seen a lot in these years. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot. Wow. And okay, that's what we're going to, that's what we are going to tap into and learn from you guys. So the reason I thought this would be an important conversation is because our movement of Calvary Chapel uh, began in what was referred to, or what we call today the Jesus People Movement, where, you know, a bunch of hippies and drug addicts and, you know, it was like the sex, drugs, rock and roll time. And all these like kind of counterculture people were getting saved and getting plugged into the churches. And then out of that, these guys are getting raised up and now they're going out and starting churches. And I don't know what the number is now, but there's a couple thousand Calvary Chapel connected churches around the world. And this church that started in Orange County, California is now a kind of a global phenomena, if you, if you would. And it's made up of like so many languages, so many cultures, so many different contexts. Uh, what started as one thing is now like blossomed into thousands of different uh, expressions of the gospel. And so here we are now. We are living, we're all in the U.S., different parts of the United States. And um, you guys and both of you have been a part of the movement of Calvary Chapel for a long time. Uh Bill, you so wait. Um, sorry, let me start. Tony, you started at Calvary Vista. Was that after? Was that because of your experience uh, being in the Marines? Yeah, uh, when I got um, when I was still in the Marine Corps, and I got um, I came back to the states from Okinawa, Japan. I was stationed at Camp Pendleton. I uh, started. I didn't know anything about Calvary Chapels at that time. Uh, I was a um, assistant pastor in a Black Pentecostal church in. Oceanside, uh, but my drive from Oceanside to the part of Camp Pendleton that I was on uh, was an hour drive. Mm -hmm. I wanted to listen to some Christian radio and I found K-Wave. And it was uh, as I was listening to K-Wave and I heard teaching for the very first time. You got to understand in the black community, there's a lot of preaching. Uh, but there's, if you want any teaching, you got to go to Sunday school. Uh, but there's not teaching from the pulpit. And I heard teaching for the very first time. I knew that I didn't fit into the common Black Pentecostal scene. I never did fit in. I always wanted to teach some kind of lesson. And I didn't know really how to do that. But I, I just wanted to. So as I was listening to K-Wave uh, on my hour drive to, 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 the, to work, I said, this is it. I said, wow, I never heard this before. Wow, listen, I didn't know that. I was blown away. Every day was uh, like a Christian seminary for me, um, you know, not knowing anything about Calvary chapels or anything like that. So uh, as I was pretty much um, you know, part of the, the Black Pentecostal Church, whenever I did have an opportunity to speak, I tried to teach. Um, and so, and then after around two years of, uh, of that, of God working in my heart, really, I had been at that church for about four years. Mm -hmm. I just said, you know what, I had to pass Calvary Vista uh, to get to, um, you know, uh, get to the church that I was serving in. And finally, I just said, you know what, uh, I'm going to start going to this Calvary Chapel here. And it was Calvary Vista at the time. And, um, and of course, I talk about how 
I, well, later I, I end up, after two years of being there, um, I was asked to come on staff and that was in um, August of 1991. And so from 91 to 94, I was on staff and then, um, and then I came to Virginia and I can talk about how I got to Virginia a little bit. That's awesome. And Bill, you were at uh, Calvary Downey. Was it Calvary Downey you were at before? Or what was your journey? Similarly, I, I got introduced to Calvary Chapel through the radio. I was in a black Baptist church, uh, which is like a black Pentecostal church without tongues. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but I was listening to K-Wave, uh, awesome. the guy that led me to the Lord. Uh, I used to rap. He said, man, don't listen to that no more. You know, he turned my dials to K-Wave. And um, when I would go to work, I would listen to K-Wave at my workstation. And I found that I was outgrowing the church I was in yeah. because of the radio that I'm um, just taking in that teaching all that was, you know, you know, eight hours a day, I was getting fed, you know, through these different, different all the guys, the personalities on K-Wave. And eventually I, I tried one other church and I just said, man, I got to find a Calvary Chapel, realized there was none in the inner city, you know, LA, Inglewood, Compton, Watts, Gardena, Hawthorne, there was none. I ended up at Calvary Chapel Downey and I really wanted to go to Bible college as well. But uh, I was there for about a year, and then I went on staff there. Uh, I think I got there in 99. I went on staff at Downey full-time in 2001, and I was on staff there until I left to plant in 2010 while we were sent out to plant Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Wow, that's fantastic. And um, that's a good – let me me just say that's a good point because I remember the same thing happening to me as I was listening to K-Wave I began to outgrow the church that mm. I was serving in. Um, and the same thing happened with me through the radio, through the teaching. Wow. That's powerful. That's a, what a powerful witness that is. I, I never heard that. That's really cool. Um, so it's 2020, right? We're, we're, we're talking here. It's 2020. This is the craziest year anybody's seen on, in our lifetimes, most likely. Uh, COVID, we all got locked up. And then George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, the world, we, it blew up with all these just tension and um, frustration and, and finally kind of like a voice being heard once again. Um, a lot of white people like me are discovering how hard and how bad from a, a very, you know, from, my, from a white perspective, we're discovering like, wait, things are not things are not good. Things are not okay. And you kind of have this idea, oh, things are not good. Things are not okay. But, but we're getting better. But to realize like, but we're not, we're not moving in the right direction very quickly. And there's no reason for these things to be like this. And I'm, my focus, my, my heart is to see Christians learn how to engage with people who might think, live, and believe differently than they do. And so it's taken me down this kind of passion of interculturalism, which has been my life overseas, realizing this is a big issue here in America. That when I lived in, in, in Hungary as an American, I had to deconstruct my Americanism in order to reach people with the gospel from their perspective because God's not American and we know that but God's also not white and he's not black and he's not brown and he's not Asian and um, so that means then that I can I can also deconstruct the my culture here in order to reach people for the sake of the gospel and our communities are hurting right now 
deeply. And I think you guys, are, obviously, you guys are more aware of this than ever. Can I talk first about what, something you've both mentioned? You both mentioned you've come from, the, from a black church. Now, one was Baptist, one was Pentecostal, very similar in some ways, except for where they stand on the gift of tongues. Um, Jamar Tisby mentioned something in The Color of Compromise. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. And it's that basically there would be no black church if the white church wasn't so racist, and he's talking historically, predominantly, but he carries it into the present as well. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Uh, what would that, would there be a black church if the white church had handled things better, or are there other factors that you would want to mention into that? You know, uh, matter of fact, I have that book as well, and um, uh, and I'm, I'm making my way through it, and he's, he's bridging the, the gaps uh, or filling in the gaps uh, of some things that I had just assumed, um, just constantly being fed American history from a white perspective. Uh, so he fills in some, some, some gaps for me uh, with that. I love history. I've always loved history. And the history is my greatest, um, uh, you know, I, I just love history. My, my, my kids teased me and said, Dad, you should have been a history professor. So, uh, so when it comes to American history, I really love that. And so, but he filled in some gaps. And I believe, I said this before on radio interviews and stuff, I said that racism, the, the church needs to fix this issue of racism mm -hmm. because the church is the one who allowed it to take place in 1619. When we came over here, the church allowed for slavery to take place. And therefore, if they allowed slavery here in America, therefore, I think the church needs to fix it. And I agree with what he is saying is that um, there wouldn't, wouldn't have been any need for black churches if the white churches were not racist, if they had just embraced us. And some tried, and, and that's why um, the history of the AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church, came about where there was a black guy, and he talks about it in the book. Mm -hmm. There's a black guy who um, was gifted and called and had white people come into the church. Uh, and so, but, but prior to him getting there, he was part of the white church as well. And, um, uh, but, you know, just racism just began to raise his ugly head to the point where he felt the need to separate. And um, that's how the uh, AME church got started because of the racism in the church. He brought a guy in to speak um, and they sat in the section, the white section. Mm. Um, and see, see already that's a problem. Why do we have a white section in the church? So, and then when they rushed over there and said, you, you guys can't sit here. This is the white section. They kept praying. They came in the church to pray before the guy spoke. They kept praying and, and said, we're not going anywhere until we finish praying. And then some other folks came up. You can't sit here. And then finally, it got so bad where they said, okay, we're leaving. They left, started the AME church uh, as a result of, of a white section to sit inside of the church. And so if those issues were not taking place, um, I, I don't think that there would have been a need for um, you know, a, an all black church. And especially here we are in 20, 
20 still with all black, all white, all Hispanic churches. Now, if you're in an area where it is all white or whatever, you, we expect your church to be all white. Right. Uh, but the way that you can know whether your church can be multicultural is is something simple that I was told. And I, and I said, I like that. It's go to your local Walmart. Go to your local Walmart. If there's blacks, whites, and all kind of folks at the local Walmart, then that shows that your church can be multicultural as well. Right. That's wow. I love that, Bill. Let me let me ask you. What's your? Do you have any additional thoughts? And and are there, are there like there's other factors, right? I mean, obviously, not all. The only reason the black church exists is not only racism. It is the predominant. Do you have any more thoughts to that that you'd want to add? Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, historically, you know, there was a time when we, you know, blacks weren't welcomed to right. worship at a white church. So, um, which is crazy, you know, it's like they, these are supposed to be Christians, but, you know, um, the racism ran that deep. So racism was in the church, uh, the white church. So blacks weren't, you weren't welcome to come and worship there. So uh, that brought division at that point in time in history. Um, now, you know, you know, you, 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 you'd like to think that that never existed. Some people pretend as though it never did. Um, but also, you know, I used to be real down on I mean, how come we can't find the type of teaching in the black church we find in the white church. But then I found that blacks also, this, this <clears throat> also trickled down into education where mm -hmm. blacks weren't able to go to your white seminary. So yeah. people like Dr. Tony Evans, there were places when he was getting his education, he was not welcome. Right. He had to get his somewhere else. And so, um, and, and those are things where people say, there's no such thing as systemic. Yeah, there is. Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. dealing with the fact that for years we didn't have access to what everybody else had access to, but, but under the, as all as Christians, you know? And so what that does, like where I minister, you know, in the black community, there are people that can search out that history and know it. And they're like, no, you know, there's white supremacy is born out of, they, they start mingling it with Christianity. And so it, it, it's a roadblock to the gospel when we're preaching. They're like, no, that's, that's the white man's religion. That's their thing. Um, you know, the slave owners were supposedly Christians, you know. Yeah. Um, your different groups were supposedly Christians. And so today it's real damaging because now we got white people kind of mixing American and Christian. Oh. And so it's like, ah, don't do, just let Jesus be Jesus, you mm -hmm. know, like, um, because there's obviously a lot of things in America that, that are not, they're not as warm and welcoming to pe the people that, if you're not a white man, it's not as wonderful as it is, uh, you know, it's not as wonderful for everybody else, you know, so, um, yeah, I definitely see those challenges. And so we're, we're, you know, we're living in a time when, like, so we have all this history of people being penalized, basically, because of the color of their skin, so we end up with a situation where, one, the education becomes a problem, as you mentioned. I love that. That's really helpful to understand. I don't think, I don't think a lot of people have equated it that way. You know, where is the teaching? Some of that has to do with the fact that there's been no opportunities for just being educated in that. But you two, you two, um, you two are both pastoring in a, in a white movement. Like, a, like Calvary Chapel is pretty white. And I could take the word pretty out of there. It's just white. And uh, so let's talk about this from maybe both sides, because we all, the three of us, we, we know all the leaders within the movement and, and everybody, you know, there's a lot of love and there's a lot of like wanting to learn and grow from among some, some of our great leaders. Um, why do you think that is? Like, what's, 
why has the movement, and this, it, I think this will go beyond just our own movement, okay? I, I don't want to just focus on like just, it's not a Calvary issue, but why then today, like a movement that started 40, 50 years ago, why don't we see, why don't we have more black pastors in our movement? Yeah, you know, that that's a great question. And, um, and we cannot expect for the 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 big boys that I call the original guys, we can't expect for them to um, to do it. You got to understand that Calvary Chapel started in you know Costa Mesa uh, in Orange County, an area that has less than one percent black, less right. than one percent. So those guys went out and started. Um, churches all around. And of course, the churches that they started is going to be white. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, and the issue is, is that as they are going out pastoring churches, and they're going to be in suburbia USA, um, you know, you, you got the inner city that that's hurting. And sure, they would throw some money at and try to do what they can to help. But then they go back to suburbia USA, where they live and where they're all white congregations are, are located. Um, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing, because I talked about having a multicultural church. I talked about that around the country as well, is, is that there's a certain sound that is associated with every culture. There's a salsa merengue style with the Hispanic culture. There's a gospel R&B sound with the black culture. Uh, and so you have these sounds and so, you, you, you have Calvary Chapel, you know, strum along, along on the guitar, do their thing. That's what they do in Southern Cal, you know, they strum. And, and you go in the black church, there's nobody playing no guitar. It's an organ keyboard. It's those types of things. Sure, somebody's on the guitar there in the background somewhere with a lead guitar or bass. That's mm -hmm. about it. If you, if you have that, but for the most part, it's choir driven. Uh, so, you know, what I did was all I knew was when I came from Southern California to come to Virginia, all I knew was strum along, along on the guitar, Maranatha music and all that kind of stuff. So I come to this area and people heard me on the radio. They said, I love the teaching, but that music is, is out of here. And they would go right out the door mm -hmm. or some would hear and then they would begin to like the music. Uh, like the worship. So seeing that that is the case, there are sounds associated with every culture. And mm -hmm. so Calvary chapels are just that, that Southern California strum along, along on the guitar. They took that, those original boys took that and went around the country and just perpetrated that. And then mm -hmm. when blacks or other cultures come in, they're like, uh, I, uh, I can't get down with that. Um, and so um, that's why here we are it, for us to step out of the black church, which is more, you know, demonstrative in their worship of God. Everything is loud and crazy and, and that sort of thing. And so, but that's just our, our culture. And so they come to Calvary chapels and see all white people. The music is all white to them. The mm -hmm. teaching is all white. And mm -hmm. so they go out the door and say, let me go down the street. So, but when you got somebody that's like me or, or Bill that's been grabbed through the teaching, we're like, okay, we know this music is not what we're used to, but we're starving for that teaching, mm -hmm. that word. And so it began to grow on us. 
And I've told people so often that there's a huge difference to me between worship and praise. Worship is us pouring out our hearts to God for all that he's done for us. Praise is talking about what God has done for us. There's mm -hmm. a lot of praise that goes on in the black church and we sing about those things God has done for us and that's rooted back in the slavery times and how God brought us through and all that kind of stuff. So there's a huge disconnect between the worship and praise in the mm -hmm. black church and the white church. And therefore, because of that, it will draw all whites to the worship and then the praise, people are going down the road, uh, black people going down the road and say, I got to get my praise on because what's going on here at this church? No, nah, that ain't that ain't it. And so then there's this 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 thing where they will love the teaching in the white church, but they want the praise in the black church. And so some would come to our church in the early days and say, we're coming here for the teaching, but we'll go down the street for the praise and for us to get our, our jump on and run around a little bit. And so that's where a, a vast disconnect begins to take place. I can go on, but I'm going to let Bill... No, that makes a lot of sense. So so it's almost like um, our churches, and then I want to hear from you as well, Bill, our, our churches are, this is a, in cross-culturalism, we call this assimilation. We're expecting people to assimilate to a particular style. It's not about the gospel message, but it's that, hey, this is our style if you like that, join into our style. And we've been having to grow as a movement into, we can't make people fit our style. We might need to adjust our style. Bill, you have any uh, any additional thoughts to that? Yeah, definitely. You know, when I when I went to Calvary Downey, that was my first, when I walked in the door and it was worship and it was like, man, I, I have to acquiesce to this. I don't like it. It was, it felt like twangy country music. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I went, I went like, like, like Pastor Tony said, I, I went for, I was already at a place where I was hungry for the word. I felt called to preach. I wanted to be, I wanted to get my family somewhere where we'd be in the word. So we went in saying, we're going to give up our flavor of music for sound teaching. Um, but I never could get what I would bring people to church that I, they can come with me once. They was never coming back. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. that was the norm. And so, but something I was going to say, cause you would ask about, you know, you know, how come we don't see more or why, you know, why do you think there's so few? And this was a, you know, when I was on staff at that church and I, I saw with a lot of Calvary's, there was a, a huge emphasis on missions, which I thought was great that they would send people around the world. And it somehow it seemed, it seemed necessary. It seemed feasible, but, but then, I mean, I was begging to go 10, you know, 15 minutes down the, you know, the 105 and there, there just wasn't as much of a, a heart to see that happen for a long time, for whatever reason, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you, I mean, I mean, I, I was even frustrated at a church where as a pastor, you had, you did a mission trip every year. I'm going to Russia, Japan, Mexico. And I'm like, can I go to Inglewood? I want to go to Inglewood. Mm -hmm. There's a need mm -hmm. right there. I, you know, um, and eventually I was able to do that, you know, but, um, and I can't speak to why, I don't know why, you know, but um, I, I do feel like that it's like something that's missed. It's like, it's, it's something that's, it's right, you know, 10, 15 minutes away from, you know, where a lot of these guys are at. Um, and maybe there's a disconnect. Maybe mm -hmm. there's just, a, I'm unaware of it. I don't, you know, I don't want to accuse anybody of just not having a heart um, for it, but um it, it didn't seem as sexy as, you know, getting on a plane and going out of the country, you know, yeah. for whatever reason. So um, definitely, you know, that was, 
that's that's something I was it, was, it was a frustration of mine even being part of the movement where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, why can't we, you know, why, why won't you guys invest in sending the guy over here, you know, and, um, you know, and then, you know, like for me, I went out and I had, you know, I was helped initially. Um, and it's, you know, it was, it's, it was very, 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 that I, I would say that's the, it was the toughest thing I've ever done. Uh, Cause six months out, it was like, all right, man, you're on, you know? And, um, and, you know, it, it was, it was difficult, man. It was, it was very, very difficult. Um, I love some other church models for planting. I think the way we, we plant, um, it's just, you know, my family never suffered as much as we suffered the first three years of doing this thing, you know? And so I think that would make it difficult for some guys, you know, if for me, arguably it'd been easier just to stay on staff at the white church, mm-hmm. but I felt called to it, you know? You know, as the guy that, uh, I was the guy, I was the guy in Russia. So sorry about that, Bill. I was the guy. Over there. <laughs> no, 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 I was, I, I'm thinking about that because I, I'm, in my own mind, this whole time, you know, I spent 22 years over in Eastern Europe and that part of the world. And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, we've always held this principle. How many times have we all three heard this taught in our churches? We've taught it, but we heard this, like, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? And and it was kind of a big shock to me to discover how little movement there's been into many of our churches Samarias or Judeas, where where it's easier, it's easier, and I and I think that's a part of the cultural dissidence of it's easier for me to go to a place I absolutely don't know. They don't speak my language. They don't eat my foods. That is an easier jump than into an inner city context where they speak my language, but I don't understand what they're talking about. They. Their foods are different. They're, it's more demonstrative. That was a good word that was used. It's, it's a, it is a different culture, but it's America, and it scares me, maybe. And I don't think it's just a, you know, I think inner city, and, and we can say, I, I'm not sure that, and I'd love your thoughts on this, that it was only like a, it's not a color issue as much as a, man, inner city is a different world. It's a very different world. And I ended up spending, you know, 15 years of my time in Eastern Europe in an inner city where it was so different than the villages or the towns or the suburbs. And it wasn't a color issue. How do you guys, so here you are now, you, you've both gone out, you're both pastoring amazing churches. You're wanting to raise people up. And this is something that is kind of, I don't know if this is unique to our movement. Um, you've both been in other movements. I have not. I got saved at Calvary and just been here. Uh, I see that like a lot of our pastors are the homegrown thing, right? Like you, like guys get raised up from your church and then they go out. And I, I guess I almost feel like, is that part of why we haven't seen as many African-American pastors to this point? Now it's happening more because you're the ones raising them up. Is it possible? Because they, they didn't find a home in the church. It didn't fit for them. And now they're, you know, now they're discovering these things. Is that possible? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does make a lot of sense uh, because if you don't have a lot of, um, uh, you know, black people coming to the to the majority white Calvary chapels, then how could they be raised up to be sent out? So it's it's left to us. Um, And I was telling the guy that's down in San Diego as well with you down that way. And um, and I said, bro, I said, if if we don't reach our own people, 
I said, do you expect for those the other guys down there in San Diego to, to reach them? I said, we have to reach them. And if right. you have a disdain for your very own people and mm -hmm. our culture and where we came from, then how would others be raised up to go out and teach our communities how to teach the word of God? And I just said, hmm. you know, I'm not going to expect for the big boys, the original guys, to raise up people like us. I said, it's our turn now to, to do that. And if we're not willing to do it, uh, then, you know, um, I, I just, you know, I, one thing I will say is that I remember years ago, uh, the few of us black pastors, we would be at a conference, we would always find each other, and we would always <laughs> huddle together, and there would be a, a quiet kind of chest sticking out when we used to say, yes, our church is majority white, um, and we there will be a, almost a subtle rejoicing that we being black uh, is pastoring a majority white uh, Calvary Chapel church and there'll be a little pride there and 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 but mm. you know the Lord has made it clear that he wants to reach our people as well and we know uh, we know the it's clear Jesus said if I if I be lifted up I would draw all men unto myself and we know that is speaking about being lifted up in the crucifixion uh, the application to that, if he's lifted up in the teaching of the word and the volume of the book is written of him, he would draw all people unto him. So when, when we teach the word of God, it draws everybody. But what keeps them there, uh, music has a lot to do with it. And then how we make other people feel when they're there. If we make people feel that they are some kind of outsider or you, this is how we do church and you come in and if you can pick up what we're putting down, then you can stay. But if you don't, you can go down the road to the next church. And, and so a lot of that uh, has a lot to do with why a lot of black people are not going to the majority white Calvary chapels is how, the, how, they, are, how they are treated. Not that they be treated badly, but it's just how we feel when we go to these all white churches, then if we don't feel the warm and fuzzies and that we are welcome there, we'll just go out the back door unless you have people like me or Bill who is hungry for the teaching of the word and we'll put up with anything to get, you know, almost anything. Right. You had to fight through though to do that. Oh, sure. When, 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 when my wife and I first came to Calvary Vista, there was only five black people at the entire church of 3000 and my wife and I were two of the five. So, but we stuck it out because we were hungry for that word. Okay. Wow. And did you, um, now let me ask you, like, that's a good example. Um, Vista, is it a city that is, is, is the area, what's the demographic? Should there have been, should there have been many more black people in that church? Is... Yes and no. Um, it's majority white, Hispanic, and there okay. are some blacks there. The, Oceanside, which is only a, a stone's throw, uh, is more black that way. But the driving distance is nothing. It's right. five to ten minutes. You're in Oceanside or you're in Vista. So, but here's the thing, and I was telling, I tell pastors around the country, if you want more blacks to come, you have to put black people in visible positions, not just for the sake of putting them there, that they have, they be qualified. Uh, mm -hmm. I know when I came on staff in 91 and black people saw me either doing announcements or teaching, filling in teaching, they said, oh, 
okay, even though this majority white, they have a black person up there. So therefore, it's okay for me to be here. And more blacks started coming to Calvary Vista as a result of that. Wow. And so, um, and that's a huge thing. So for us, you, you have to put uh, black people, or if you want a multicultural type of church, you got to put them in visible positions, um, parking lot, the ushers, greeters, assistant pastors, doing announcements. And that way, you, people of that, that culture will see, hey, it's, it's okay for us to be here. This mm -hmm. is a safe place. And then they will start coming. And I saw that. Do you guys like, we need to add you to the um, worship conference. We need to learn how to lead worship in other ways. Because that, I feel like that's a big, I don't know. I mean, that, because like, I'm, I'm bored of our way of doing worship. Like, <laughs> like, like, I, and, and I, like, I get inspired when I listen to, when I'll go to it, like I hear a black gospel choir or something. Like, I want those feelings. I want that. I think we're, we're almost like selling a lot of cultures short, and so we need you guys to. Um, we need to have your your worship leaders come and teach. Uh, um, I'm going to bring your. And that's funny that you say that uh, because. It, but here's the thing: if you would look at all the worship conferences, and, and and Bill's been around long enough to to notice as well. You you know now they're going after the if it's not the big Calvary Chapel churches and their worship teams doing the conferences and stuff like that, then um, uh, if it's not that, then they're going after some of the big boys, your 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 big uh, groups that's on K-Love and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But if you, if they want to know what black worship and stuff is all about, you're going to have to invite these kind of artists to the worship conferences and not just have the all white worship conferences that we all go to. So when our worship leaders go to these conferences, they just hearing how to perpetuate white Calvary Chapel worship mm -hmm. that, and keep that going. And so, but you're right, there has to be a, a shift and it has to be, here's the word, has to be intentional. Right, right. And that's the, that's what it, that's the word that I've been wanting to get to. It has to be intentional. If you want a multicultural church, you want more black people to come or whatever, you got to be intentional about doing it. Well, you guys, this has been unbelievable. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of pause us for a second because I want to just, I want to continue this conversation next week. We are, uh, we're talking here on Crossing Cultures about how we bridge the gap as Christians between those who live, believe, and think differently than we do. And we've been in conversation with pastors Tony Clark and Bill Buffington. And uh, what I'd like to do is continue this conversation next week. We're going to talk about issues like Black Lives Matter and uh, politics and nationalism within the church. And I know it's going to really uh, be a blessing to you. If you've not already subscribed to our podcast, please do. It's also on YouTube. As well as you can follow us on social media on Instagram at crossing.cultures. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for listening to Crossing Cultures. If you found value in the show, do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes or simply share the episode with a friend. And make sure to hit subscribe.